Welcome everybody to Podcast of the Week for the week of June 5th, 2017, or well, whatever week I release this. I'll probably release this tonight, or tomorrow, or today. Yeah, on June 5th. This will release on June 5th. Never mind. Ignore everything I just said. How are you doing? It's been a while. It's not Podcast of the Month yet, at least. <laughs> I'm going to slowly like turn it to Podcast a Year, Podcast a Decade, Podcast a Century. And, like the, the, the less often I do it, I'm just going to change the name of the podcast and then redo all the branding, of course. Nonetheless, I'm I'm going to try and I'm not going to say this is a relaunch because I'll probably end up missing a week. But you know, we, we I had an idea that was going to be like an episode of podcast a week that turned into a full on podcast. I'm excited about that. You can hear a little more about that in probably the next few days. Actually, check out my my Twitter feed and the the Wrestling with Words podcast network to find out that kind of stuff. But I also lost an episode. Very bad audio. You could understand what was being made out, but it was like an act of assault on the ears. So we're back. This is actually something that was intended to be for something else, and it's now turned into an episode of Podcast a Week. So yeah, swings and roundabouts, as they say. JP Nichols has joined me to talk about the 13th anniversary of Impact, the, the wrestling television show that's aired on four different networks across 13 years and over 600 episodes. So we're, we're talking about the very first episode. We go and look back into 2004 and talk about that episode. It's a fun time. And I swear... I, I won't swear. No, no, I swear. I'm going back on my not swearing. I swear I'll, I'll get this out weekly. I, I, I'll do my darndest. Because I, I, when I lost that episode, I was like, oh no. And I was kind of demoralized for a while. But we have E3 coming up. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk about. And we'll probably talk about it. But before that, me and JP talk about the first ever episode of TNA Impact. JP, how are you? Not too bad, Garrett. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Because the week that, that we are in, this is the week of June 4th. But on June 4th, 2004, a little show called Impact aired for the first time. Yes, on uh, Fox Sports Net, I believe, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Yeah, it was 3 or 4, it depended on your location. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was one of those things that I, you know, whenever I got to come home from school and then check out as it aired, and I probably had not seen this episode since then, so... There were certain things that I had no memory of that they ended up airing that uh, I was pretty caught off guard and surprised by. Yeah, we, we've had 670 episodes of Impact since. Can you believe, like, Impact's been on the air twice as long as WCW Monday Nitro. I mean, and across, now let's see, I mean, four networks? Yep, yeah, Five, because Fox Sports, Spike, Destination America. Oh, oh uh, pop, no, four. I think it, it was, like, syndicated in markets between FSN and Spike at, at some stage, wasn't it? Oh, are you talking about, like, the online era? Yeah, because like, uh, um, it aired online on ImpactWrestling.com through, like, oh, YouTube oh, or something. I, I think it actually did air on the Sunshine Network in Florida, now that you mention it. So, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. in a way, five. I actually, I was digging around this morning, and I found the original press release announcing the, the debut on Fox Sports Net. Yes. And I, yeah. I think it's it's interesting. I'll, I'll read some of it. Total Nonstop Action Wrestling is the new wrestling alternative, so that was their slogan, and features some of the most well-known names in wrestling today, like Jeff Jarrett, Raven, D'Lo Brown, Sting, and Conan. <laughs> it's kind of interesting that they listed D'Lo at that point, because he was, like, kind of a non-entity. I mean, because he was, like, doing Japan tours. And they listed Sting, who worked for the company, like, three times at that stage. <laughs> and Conan was, like, in essence, well... Well, I guess BG may have been third banana in the group, in essence, but, you know, R-Truth, I mean, former two-time champion. And they, they continue on with the, the industry's hottest new stars, such as AJ Styles, Abyss, Chris Harris, James Storm, and, most importantly, CBS Survivor Pearl Island star Johnny Fairplay. 
Wow. <laughs> he wasn't even on this show. <laughs> I, mean, I actually looked, I mean, because I was curious even, like, what the dark matches even were for the show, and they did apparently have him and Jimmy Hart, like, open to the crowd. I didn't get to attend this taping at the time, so it's like I had no memory of that. Like, yeah, you have Johnny Fairplay, who, like, he's not a star. Like, no one will delude themselves into thinking Johnny Fairplay was actually a big deal in any way, except very expensive, apparently. But, like, you put him in the press release, and then you you have him at the show, but then you don't, the only, the only like, clip of him on the show is Brian Urlacher throwing him at people. I mean, uh, they, they definitely love that clip around this period. I mean, uh, well, that, I mean, you know, as, uh, as well as, uh, the Toby Keith suplex, which we will see again as we get into the show. Yeah, and they, they also... They, this this is my favorite part, actually. TNA Wrestling separates itself from its competitors by delivering quality family programming that focuses on athletic in-ring action instead of oh, the, oh, the over-the-top shocking antics that have become all too common in the mainstream. Well, it's not exactly wrong at this point. But they literally Honestly. had a stable that they called Sports Entertainment Extreme and misspelled Extreme just so it's called Sex. Well, yes, I mean, <laughs> but they, but they did, you know, it was like starting like I thought with like around the summer of 03, like after Styles won the belt, they were like putting much more of a focus on the in-ring product and getting away from a bit of the silliness that was present in the first year. Yeah, the the dancing ladies were gone. The Most of the I midget, mean, midget antics they had, including ejaculation and pulling a gun on Jeff Jarrett was gone. Yes, uh, the, many of those kind of segments were pretty much dissipated completely and then they were putting much more of a focus on the in-ring product i mean there were still certain things that could have been tweaked i mean but you know as seen on this show it was like the thing i thought on this particular episode the thing that they pushed the most was the x division indeed you know we got an opener uh we had a main event both focusing on the division and i believe that i mean that they had uh two or three video packages on the show yeah, for the x division they pushed it pretty hard this was there's a lot of firsts on the show. This like because it was the start of their new show from Orlando. They they had the the dueling entrance tunnels for the first time. Well, I suppose they had them in the Nashville stage, but they didn't have them like either side of the of the building. Right, and uh, I mean, I personally like that. I mean, look at the time and in retrospect, I mean, I think that when they eventually got to the HD stage and they had the two tunnels on the left and the right, I thought that was like their ideal look. I mean, but this is something that, um, of course, was a way to stand out in addition to, of course, the ring that they ended up having. Mike Mike today was selling the hell of that ring on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, it's, again, something to stand out, just like the timer. I, I liked, I, yeah, I liked the, like the, the Fox box was a, a unique introduction. There it is. <laughs> I couldn't think of the exact term. And, you know, they would have even in the bottom, on the lower third, they would have, like, graphics, like, recapping recent events on the television, such as um, Jeff Jarrett recently winning the uh, world title in the King of the Mountain on the previous weekly pay-per-view, as well as uh, mentioning Kazarian being the exhibition champion. And they were trying to make the most of uh, certain little things like this. My only issue with the Fox Fox personally was just that it would kind of make you like know when to expect a match to end yeah when you put a timer on screen you're like fair like fair enough some of these ma- these matches didn't go down to like the final minute but like and any of them that ran toward it it's like well we're coming up on a finish now right 
I mean, but of course, you know, when there's a world title match or tag title, exhibition title, where they have a 30-minute limit, that kind of eliminates that issue, since you know you're going to probably get a lengthier match. And if it ever goes to a draw, there will be a celebrity judge there to tell you who wins. This is... <laughs> I don't know if they ever actually ended up using a celebrity judge for this thing, did they? Well, they, they had, like, famous wrestlers. And some sometimes, I think they said Terry Funk was the judge one week, even though Terry Funk was on, like, TNA television once. Oh, it was the championship committee, was yeah. it not? With uh, Funk, maybe Dusty, and... Larry Z. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and indeed, as you mentioned, Terry would made, like, no appearances. But if that but... match went for draw, he would have shown up. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, Mike, Mike Tanae was telling us all about how the ring has, like, more points of impact, and there's, like, more ropes, and there's more combinations, and apparently for, like, it's harder to cut off because there's more room in it for a tag team match. He, he, he was really like, this is why this ring is important. I mean, well, it's something that was very unique to bring to television, and it's important to mention to the audience, I mean, all the aspects that can come into play in terms of how the matches can be worked. Yeah, it became I mean, kind of integral to the brand as well. Like, it was incorporated into the logo. It's still actually incorporated into the logo this, to this day. Well, they brought it back um, at those New York shows in 14, right? Yep. I believe. After a fan yeah, vote. Was, right. And then it was like, you know, they had it from this particular show until the first Hogan pay-per-view. And then from that New York, those New York tapings until today. That I mean, so you figure it's... That infamous first Hogan pay-per-view where he's like, if you don't like this being a square ring now, well, shove it. Yes, and uh, boy, the crowd did not react to that one very well. In addition to a number of things on that show, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose we'll talk about the show itself. Yeah, the very nice opening video package before the standard Fox Sports intro. Yeah, it was like, there's, there's two two intro sequences, basically. Yes, I mean, uh, the uh, with first recapping a lot of, uh, well, as they would put it, total nonstop action, in addition to the, uh, and the, what would become the regular intro on the, of the Fox Sports era. Do you like the Fox Sports theme song? Pretty solid. I mean, I guess for what it is, um, I feel like they would end up finding better themes down the line. Um, I actually liked the Spike one for what it was. The Spike one was my favorite one. I mean, they, it might just um, be like nostalgia or something because like that was the period when I started watching Impact. But the Spike one is my favorite one. I mean, they would end up having, what, Adrenaline Rush for a kind of a brief thing? Or that was just the uh, show closing for a bit? I think they used it as a theme song for, like, one week. There's one week <laughs> where, like, Adrenaline Rush is our big theme song before it, like, used, they used it every week for the show closing video package instead. So after that intro package, we had the opener, which was a six-man tag, an international X-Division showcase, in case you forgot that TNA actually used Bobby Roode as an X-Division wrestler at one stage. And yes, and in addition to that, I mean, we have the uh, ever-growing stable known as Team International in TNA history. Including American Amazing Red. Yes, 
Uh, what when a USA chant took place in this match in, uh, against uh, Team Canada, always a winner. But um, yes, amazing red Hector Garza and Sanjay Dutt versus uh, Bobby Roode, Eric Young, and Petey Williams. The ideal form of Team Canada. Yes, yes, absolutely. Get out of here, uh, A One Johnny Devine and Ruffy Silverstein. <laughs> I mean, but and it's weird to think. I mean, because it was like I believe Roode ended up with this spot due to uh, Teddy Hart. Uh, having his incident and uh, leaving, and and technically Jack Evans was a part of Team Canada. Yes, the famous he, Canadian Jack Evans was one of the, the the integral members of the original Team Canada. <laughs> By way of uh, Washington State. Yes, it's on the border. It's close enough. <laughs> but um, yes, uh, they ended up uh, with this match. Um, amazing Red in this period. I'm a love Amazing Red over the years, but. Emin, after his knee injuries, was really rough to watch. He would eventually, I thought, like, by the time they brought him back in 2009, he was looking really, really good at that point. But this 04 to, like, 06 period where they would use him on occasion, he was just a little off. And he, he very much fell into the background of the company because he was, like, I wouldn't say he, they, they got behind him very hard at any stage, but, like, he was a relatively featured act at some stages. Oh, yes. I mean, they had a... I mean, in essence, they had one whole weekly pay-per-view dedicated to him at the tail end of 2002, where they had that big gauntlet match, I believe, that Jason Cross won. Yep. And then they had the Triple X um, versus SATN Red match, which is an unsung gem from that weekly pay-per-view era. Infamous for um, Don West standing on the table and chanting, Go, Red, Go. Yes, Absolutely. One thing also worth noting in this match is uh, a label that Sanjay still has to this day is um, from Don West. I believe it was Don West who officially said it, um, that he is the best wrestler to not win the exhibition title. I believe he also said it about primetime Elix Skipper later in the show, but both still could use the exhibition title on the resume. Yeah. Well, Skipper, Skipper, maybe not so much at this point. I don't think that's going to happen. Dutt might happen today or tomorrow. You never know. Yes, it's very true. I mean, and he was uh, he was really on fire in this match, I thought, more uh, the most of the uh, three involved. But Hector Garza at this point, he was one of those what-if talents at this point because it was pretty clear, you know, that they wanted to make him into a showcase star before other outside circumstances led to him leaving TNA, but he was very, very good when they brought him in, and it was a good way to, like, mix up of, like, giving the audience a cruiserweight that was, well, I would say a cruiserweight, but the uh, X-Vision wrestler that was uh, on pre- on television previously through WCW, mixing it up with uh, Amazing Red and Sanjay, and then you also have Team Canada on the opposite side, giving them that good mix of um, showcasing people that they want to push in the company. All right, a little stat for you here. Sanjay Dutt has unsuccessfully challenged for the exhibition title 39 times. My goodness. <laughs> well, um, I mean, 40th time. 40th time's the charm. charm. Evidently, potentially. We will see. And uh, the, but, to tie Impact 2004 to Impact 2007, we have Garza Jr., Hector Garza's nephew, still wrestling in TNA. One other thing I thought was worth noting with uh, Rude in this match was he was doing a fair amount of stuff that really you have not seen from him in some time, I thought. Stuff I mean, like the sit-up powerbomb. Yeah, he, he did more yeah. stuff back then. 
Yes. I mean, like, um, you know, he at one point was attempting, a, it looked like a razor's edge, um, potentially, but that got cut off. Yeah, but I, he I was. He, uh, he used to do that all razor's edge into a powerbomb thing, didn't he? Yes. I mean, it was just interesting to see. I mean, and, you know, Eric Young even busted out the uh, wheelbarrow into the neck breaker, which I did not remember him using this early on in his career. It's one of my favorite moves. It's, it's just like, it's needless, but it's cool. Yeah, I mean, it, and it got an ovation from the crowd when he hit it. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, <laughs> it clearly did its job in that regard. When I say rude, treated like an X-Division guy, it reminds me of, like, when you see Hiroki Goto used to be a junior in New Japan, and you're like, that's not even real. He was he was <laughs> never a junior. I mean, it's, and it's weird to think, too. I mean, when we're talking about Rude being exhibition wrestler, because I'm pretty sure that's the one title he needed to become a, or win every single title in TNA. He, yeah, he, well, if you, if you include the global TV Legends King of the Mountain title as one lineage, then yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it was like, <laughs> but they, uh, I mean, of course, uh, I mean, outside of like this period where they were having him in exhibition matches, they never really took the opportunity to put him in a proper X-Division scene. Yeah, they pretty swiftly moved him and Eric Young up as, like, the, the, the team of Team Canada. Exactly. I mean, but they were a good team together. They I were. Mean, another thing uh, also worth noting is um, they, you know, one of the more, I guess, popular moves that has uh, seen, in my opinion, a gigantic resurfacing as of late. The Canadian Destroyer, this would, I guess, be the first time it was hit on a proper televised scale. That is true. On national, this was the first Canadian destroyer on national television history. Yeah, I mean that's probably and, not true. Someone, someone's going to point out like someone did it in WCW, and it's like, hey. <laughs> I mean, but they made it a point to uh, put over that move when it was hit. I mean, and uh, they they had a they had a fair amount of random moves in this one. I mean, uh, of course, with the uh, Torneo from Hector Garza being one to finish the match by pinning Bobby Roode, current NXT champion. I do like, basically, when Petey Williams retired, the floodgates opened up. It's like, anybody can do a Canadian Destroyer now. It was crazy. I mean, it was like... I had no idea that everyone wanted to pay tribute to Petey Williams. I mean, I enjoyed Petey Williams, but where did this come from? (laughs) He's the new most influential wrestler in the Indies. Evidently. So, up next was... What I loved about this match was Sharkboy made his entrance, and Mike Tanay was like giving you the sales pitch on Sharkboy. He's like, oh, you know, he's this cult figure, people like him, he he was on MTV once, and then he gets squashed by a piss. Yep, yes. <laughs> also, before, they um, they did have a video package uh, replaying King of the Mountain, uh, showing Jeff Jarrett winning the title, which he would go on to hold for 11 months, the longest, even though they will say Bobby Roode is the... Uh, TNA, long, well, longest TNA champion, the longest, I guess, canon TNA champion is still that Jeff Jarrett title reign. The Jeff Jarrett reign of terror. Going on at the same time as JBL's reign of terror. It was like... <laughs> it's a terrible what a, summer. <laughs> I mean, if it's like, you know, Samoa Joe had his very lengthy reign in ROH, and it was like, then those two at the same time, my goodness. And then they also had the, uh, they aired the replay of the Toby Keith suplex on Jeff Jarrett from the uh, Gauntlet from the Gold. In addition to uh, Brian Urlacher, uh military pressing Johnny Fairplay onto, I believe, infamous TNA alumna redshirt security Kevin Northcutt. And maybe <laughs> Ryan Wilson slash Triton. Triton, the greatest character in TNA history. 
uh, like as I was saying earlier, you know, going back and looking at some of these shows, there's a total who's who effect with some of these. <laughs> Everyone's showing up. Exactly. <laughs> Including Popeye, might I add. <laughs> Which <laughs> I would always wonder because obviously with TNA Universal Studios, there's a whole cast of characters there that they could have Sharkboy interact with. They did have him show up on the Jaws ride, I believe, a couple times. But I had no memory of uh, Sharkboy and Popeye interacting together. Friends of the sea. Indeed. And they also were making it a point to put over with Abyss in this match that uh, Goldilocks somehow had powers over him in some capacity. Abyss has really gone through the ringer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you figure at this point he was brought in by Kid Cash about a year prior. Then uh, he became buddies with Don Callis for a brief bit and then became buddies with Goldilocks and, uh, this is painful to say, Baby Bear Alex Shelley. (laughs) What a character. I, ugh. He did, uh, like, literally, why, he did, it was just Alex Shelley. I don't know why he was Baby Bear Alex Shelley. I mean, man, poor, <laughs> I mean, talk about, like, just pigeonholing a guy into a spot and just, I don't know. But, yep, yeah, Goldilocks, I mean, uh, future TNA Hall of Famer, or should be. Just uh, for the theme still, songs. Just for the theme yeah. songs. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't even, I mean, it's like that, this program with uh, Abyss, I want to say, like, concluded by the weekly pay-per-views conclusion, if not sooner. I don't even remember how it ended, because there was, like, a thing about her having contracts for people, and I think she just kind of went away at one like, stage. Where it was like, um, they were having, like, what was it, Sunny Siaki feud with Umaga? Yeah. But um, this was, a, you know, in terms of a squash, I mean, they were, in the Fox Sports period, they were really focusing on the squashes a lot. If, with, you, watch, uh, if you watch Impact again these days, they're right back at it. They bloody love the things. That That is true. That is true. I mean, and there's something, you know, that can be good, I mean, about having squashes. I mean, you just can't really use it at the expense of your own talent, which they were good about doing in this period because they would bring in, I mean, they would bring in people like MVP and have Monty Brown. Brown. Yes. Or, um, you know, local Florida wrestlers, whether it be names like Jarrell Clark, Mikey Betts, um, Chase and Rance, Kid Kid Romeo, underrated. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's um, favorite WCW Cruiserweight. I mean, yes, uh, hey, hey. <laughs> very underrated, I thought. But, um, oh, who else? Uh, Kenny King would occasionally get squashed. I mean, is um, who would go on to, of course, get signed uh, years down the road. They, yeah, they actually but, have, the, like, Jake Holmes gets squashed these days, John Bullen, uh, Ava Story, or, or Casey Quinn. They, they, they're, they're doing the same thing now. They have, like, their, their established jobber crew again. But it's it's just strange. I mean, because it's like, I mean, I, like all these towns were local. I mean, and it's like they they're bringing in guys to lose. It was sort of like when one that stood out to me even just from a few years ago was uh, when they were bringing in Nor Furnham, and it's like he lives in California, and I'm pretty sure he had like a total, excluding that what was it a feast or fire that he was in. Like in terms of singles and tags, he may have wrestled like a combined less than five minutes. 
in the time that they brought him in. <laughs> hey, him and Norv, him and Dewey got over though. It is true. It is true. I mean, I, I, I miss Dewey and Norv. I mean, I don't know why they uh, they didn't get more behind them in a way to like give that like underdog team like a run, but yeah. I, but think, I mean, I it, think squash matches work better in an hour television show. Definitely, because Impact definitely. was an hour these days, and like just from the pacing standpoint, if you have like three or four squashes in a two-hour show, it's kind of torture. Yes, yes. I mean, especially. It depends also on, like, the acts, I guess, they want to use as well. I mean, but, like, with someone like an Abyss or Monty Brown, where they would just come in and, like, demolish people very effectively in a short span of time, it was usually pretty entertaining. By the way, uh, we mentioned Popeye. There was another Popeye uh, reference in TNA history. Of course, Claire Lynch infamously played all the oh. oil in the Universal theme park. So Popeye has a big influence on TNA, uh, you know, on Impact history, anyway. The last time I went to Halloween Horror Nights, like, it may, I guess it would have been 15, 2015. I, they had, like, some video on there, and I probably have the picture somewhere. I was convinced it was her that they had in the video screen. So I do not know if she still happens to work at Universal. But it's entirely possible. That poor lady got very harassed. <laughs> she, like, deleted her social media accounts because people found out who she was and started, like, spamming them. And then they had to have the uh, story taken up and, well, thrown in the garbage and sorts in some ways. Probably nothing, rightfully so. <laughs> if nothing else with that feud um, or that whole arc, my thing is I look at it like Christopher, and Dan- uh, Christopher Daniels and Kazarian were like B. Arthur in the Star Wars Holiday Special and that they were trying very hard <laughs> to be very, very entertaining. And they just so happen to be surrounded by a lot of garbage. So next up for the NWA World Tag Team titles, Kid Cash and the Prelancoid Dallas lost to AMW. One thing I did not remember um, on this was that they were actually pushing the fact that uh, Dallas and Kid Cash were related. Oh yeah, yeah, they were. What was, what was their relationship? Cousins? They in fact did not. In fact, they did not. Uh, they made it a point to mention on commentary that they were like, "There, uh, we do not know their relation, but we do know that they are supposedly related." Because Kid Cash originally brought in Abyss as his heavy, that clearly didn't work out. So he brought in Dallas as his heavy afterwards. I mean, Kid Cash. I mean, another guy that in this early period of TNA, I found to be very underrated in terms of just being very entertaining uh, as a villain and. Very enjoyable to watch in the ring, and uh, Dallas at this point uh, go on to be Lance Hoyt eventually. Once DDP was brought into the company, he was still uh, at this point new, but I never he... put that together. <laughs> now did you mention it? like the DDP was why they renamed Lance Hoyt? That never that clicked a... in my head. <laughs> that was at least what I thought at the time. I mean, because they can't have two Dallases, so it makes sense. Yes, once that happened, um, he would go on to be Lance Hoyt, and uh, eventually Lance Rock, I guess, then Vance Archer, now Lance Archer. He's He's gone. <laughs> I like the, the like natural through lines of his names. <laughs> it's like he keeps apart every time. He and uh, Cash, I mean, well, I thought, I mean, well, for one, uh, Hoyt, when he's in a team, I think is pretty, uh, he works pretty well on a team. I mean, whether it be with... Uh, Cash, Jimmy Rave, um, of course, David Hart Smith. I guess he and Kurt Hawkins briefly had a team on Superstars. Kurt at Hawkins the time. Yes, that is true. Of course, AMW at this point was the team that they were 
building the entire tag division around. And uh, this was their fourth tag title win. Um, and, I mean, at this point, both of them were very, very enjoyable to watch together. I'm personally in the uh, boat uh, preferring them as a team to Beer Money overall. I think I, I think I made a list once, and I put Beer Money first, purely on like the basis that I saw Beer Money live, and like seeing them in person gave them like an unfair advantage. I'd pretty much have them neck and neck because both are like they're the two best teams in TNA history, pretty much. I mean, I mean it's um, I mean nothing to discredit Beer Money together, uh, but um, AMW uh, they just really. I mean, they felt like they were a proper team in the sense of, like, they were... I mean, while Rude and Storm was obviously a bit of a... I mean, the way that they were formed up was out of the... What was it? The tournament they had. That one tag tournament where it was, like, the par- uh, partners that were, like, randomly paired together. Uh, was that that was that still called Deuces Wild then? I believe so. Yeah. It may have. But, um... Oh, yeah, it, it was Deuces Wild then. They renamed it Joker's Wild afterwards. <laughs> I think. Oh no! Um, was, but, was Deuces Wild the Against All Odds one, the Pope one? They have so many names. Oh, oh yes, yeah. This is very true. <laughs> but uh, I mean, of course, you know that's not me discrediting them. I mean, they because ju- they eventually found their footing together and they became a very great team. But there's just something to AMW's matches that I just gave a little bit of an edge more for me. But um, they worked well here together and. Um, Crowd ended up getting into them pretty well. This is the longest match of the show, too. I mean, that being a title match makes sense. It was the, um, the match with the 30-minute time limit as well. Yes, yes. Because I um, And uh, fans were happy for the uh, ending, and it was a good way to um, establish AMW from the start of the show. Yeah, I just thought the finish was a little kind of like... It, it didn't really land. Yes, it was a, unfortunately a little flat. I definitely agree there. I mean, just because of the fact that it was a roll-up and... Uh, I don't even know. I don't think that Cash and Dallas ever end up getting a rematch. I could be wrong on that. But it's like one of those things where if they're not going to get a rematch, then you may as well just have the clean win. They did wrestle on pay-per-view the year after, didn't they? Yes. That was after um, AMW won the belts from Team Canada. Very underrated match. But that was a that was a pretty uh, good match, too, from what I remember. Indeed. Cash and, yeah, Cash and Dallas were an underrated little team. I mean, and um, also, but like, Kid Cash did a moonsault off of Dallas's shoulders, sitting in the corner in this match, and like, that is not a good idea. That is not a sure footing. Right, absolutely. I mean, but he was very innovative. I mean, at the time, and I mean, like, I mean, like I say, I always found him to be a very underrated wrestler, and unfortunately, with uh, his run in TNA, he wouldn't, he wouldn't last uh, another full year because he was gone by the time uh, or before Dusty left. I mean, and of course, they would bring him back from uh, 2011 to beginning of 13. But he was someone that, uh, I mean, just had a lot of great personality and had did a lot of innovative stuff in the ring that uh, I feel like a lot of wrestlers today could benefit from even watching uh, old stuff of his. So speaking of Dusty, Dusty arrived as our judge for the night. Yes, uh, with that uh, promo with Jeff Jarrett. Uh, also uh, coming off of another X Division uh, showcase video that they had on the show. Jeff Jarrett wearing his signature white pants. And uh, one thing that I thought was uh, notable about this uh, before Jarrett came out was when they were uh, running down the NWA lineage. uh, Because, of course, Dusty being former NWA champion in the past, and you just hear him talking about names like 
Dusty Rhodes, Terry Funk, uh, The Truth, AJ Styles. Ron Killings fits in that lineage. Don't you dismiss poor Ron Killings. <laughs> uh, two-time champion, I believe his second reign that just had ended the show before this. I don't think he had a single defense. Wasn't it only a week long? It was pretty close. I mean... Because obviously... of course Jeff Jarrett had to be champion going onto television, because that is the rule of the history. Like, yes. if, if, if there is any TNA television show that is starting, Jeff Jarrett has to be champion. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, I mean, that King of the Mountain, I think, is probably one of the better King of the Mountain matches. It's I mean, a really I match, guess. Yeah. yeah, but. Um, I think it's free on YouTube. Go search King of the Mountain 2004. I think they have it up there. Yep, yeah, I mean, but, um, yes, uh, I mean, and it, and it was weird, too, because obviously they ended up having the title on AJ before they put it on Truth. And then Truth ended up just being a segue to get to Jared, I guess, without having him win the title from Styles, even though. He won a ladder match, match, and he could have done it anyway. Yep. <laughs> TNA logic. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> of course, more famously, Jeff Jarrett won the belt on a Border City wrestling show from Raven, so he'd be champion going into the Spike era. This, uh, there is a precedent here. Another one where, I mean, Raven may have only had one defense in that reign, because he had the dog collar match with Abyss. Uh, and then he, had he the didn't Rhino defend match as well. Oh, yes, that's right, that's right. Yeah, that was a title match, so yeah, he had the two. But, um, Good for him. He had two defenses. As opposed to Styles in 2005, <laughs> who had none as well. Uh, Saban, who had none. It's like the history of Tia. Storm had none. <laughs> they're, they're, oh, yep, <laughs> they're, they're a handful. I didn't even realize just how many there were that didn't happen to make it out with a single defense. But Probably too many. But <laughs> Yes, absolutely. We did but, get some, uh, some old shake, rattle, and rolling from Dusty here, which was nice. Where they uh, where Jared was... Uh, Busting out some Western references here by trying to draw the line and take five paces, and then ended up getting some. Uh, didn't quite get it up to the bionic elbow before Jarrett made his comeback until the truth made the save. I put save in inverted commas there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My favorite part of the segment truth tried to make the save, and he got hit by a guitar within like 30 seconds. Which BG James identified as an El Cabong in his, in his promo after. Uh, uh, he and Conan hit the ring, which I was surprised to even hear uttered. It is the rightful television. name of the guitar shot. Absolutely, <laughs> but they, um, but they would end up. Uh, um, Truth and uh, Jared, I believe, would have their uh, title match. Well, I mean, Truth would get his rematch at the second anniversary show in a couple weeks after this episode. So, I mean, it was a way to continue that program and, you know, I guess, establish Jared's reign. You know, by getting him over Truth. Really make you want to see Truth get his revenge on him, too, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. And uh, from there, I mean, phew. I mean, Truth kind of disappeared from the world title picture. Yeah. I mean, I mean, because um, he would randomly get an exhibition title shot the next year. Mm-hmm. And he and Pac-Man Jones won the tag titles, I believe. Was he, he was in King of the Mountain 2005, wasn't he? That was Raven. Raven, Monty. Waltman, Abyss. Styles, Styles as champion. Was it Killings? No, Killings, whatever... was, well, Killings was in the 2006 one, sorry. Yes. Um, Which were, yeah, that was the random, like, I don't know, he's probably leaving, let's make him happy by putting him in a main event. <laughs> and then we had our main event, which was an X Division forward. This, this actually reminded me a lot of the five-way we had a couple weeks ago, where it was 
the big thing was oh somebody returning to the X Division in that instance it was Loki and this time AJ Styles kind of a very similar idea true um, which they also preceded with a, another X Division video package with names like Scott Hudson Mike Denae uh, Scott Hudson underrated person from TN- this era of TNA as well better than Shane Douglas as a backstage interviewer I didn't mind him too much. I mean, it wasn't like my favorite backstage interviewer, but I mean, he was very much Shane Douglas as a backstage interviewer, if that makes sense. I did, he, yeah, he did his cackle every time. It's like, ha yeah. Shane Douglas here. And they had uh, Director of Authority Vince Russo come out to uh, mention that people will be happy about uh, the fourth person. Um, and uh, Saban, uh, Shane, and Skipper did not get entrances. I thought it was also notable. Mm-hmm. Which is strange, because... I mean, um, these are three guys that I thought that um, I felt that they were wanting to like push at the time, because obviously Michael Shane at this point was the longest reigning X-Vision champion that they had, which would later be outdone by PD and later outdone by Daniels and Aries. Aries is still the longest reigning. Yes. And uh, Saban was someone that they were pushing very heavily, having you know come off the Super X Cup not too long before and um, other exhibition tournaments, as well as uh, winning the second Ultimate X. Um, and uh, Skipper, someone who had exposure on uh, WCW, did a fair amount of unique stuff. Could be kind of inconsistent, I thought, sometimes, because when he was on his game, he was very good. But when he was having an off day, it was very noticeable. Yeah, he, he had very, very off days. He didn't just, like, you know, a uh, pretty mediocre match. He like he he was very ambitious, so yeah. it kind of comes with the territory of ambition that when it doesn't come off, it's it's not so good. This is a very fast-paced match. I mean, um, Adrian Saban's appearing that uh, was one that I always thought was something to get more out of. They never, um, they never got it. Like they had the one in two thousand nine, which was about six-ish minutes long, and I love that match. It's one of my favorite TV sprints. And then they had one toward the end of two thousand six as well. They had a singles match then. And they had this. The, they had one in two thousand five as well, which had the really cool Styles Clash finish where he flipped him over into the ropes and flipped back. But like, like there was ne- one. They never had a, like a big TV match. And it's like, Grr. man, there was one triple threat. Um, I want to say with the two of them and Joe, that was pretty underrated at one point. Thanksgiving two thousand seven in the Turkey. There you ball. go. There you go. <laughs> but um, I mean, they work well together. Um, Michael Shane, I was never particularly high on. I mean, to me, it sort of felt like they were wanting to push him because they wanted him to be their Shawn Michaels. I mean, literally, because that was the main thing they would push with him. Shane, uh, Shane, the Shane was always good as, like, the the third or fourth guy in a match. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and he worked well with, like, teams when they would have because um, shortly after this, he and Kazarian would become a team, and I thought they worked well together. Styles at this point, well, what can you say about Styles at this point? <laughs> he was, uh, very much the guy that they wanted to push, and rightfully so. He was really incredible to watch at this point. This was his first kind of... Actually, he didn't really do X-Division stuff since 2002, really, did he? Uh, well, they pushed him into the world title um, picture, like the beginning of 03. Of course, he would win the title in the summer. And then um, he was pretty much uh, world title bound ever until this match, yes. Yeah, so this was kind of the this was touted as AJ returning to the X division to probably I mean, get him out of the way of Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> this was also still in the period where he was wrestling with earrings at times. Yeah, and I was like, anytime I see a wrestler doing that, I just think, why? <laughs> you want your ear ripped off? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there's like, especially in a match like this where you're moving at such a fast pace, and I mean, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, that just seems like a potential possibility for disaster. But he used to always wrestle in a necklace as well, and it's just like you really, you really taking an unnecessary risk there. Yes, I mean, he, he was. Uh, I mean, but of course, he would eventually uh, get out of that phase, I suppose. But um, and this match was uh, to. Um, Oh, uh, another thing worth noting, I should have mentioned with, like, a couple of the matches that we were talking about earlier. Um, they were pushing for the following weekly pay-per-view um, that, uh, well, for one, the tag titles would be defended on the next show with whoever won. And uh, whichever team won, they would face a fan-voted poll winner. This was pre-Taboo Tuesday as well, I'll have you know. Yes, it was. They had the the winner of this match would face Kazarian. Um, for the title, they were like going out of their way to push the show. I mean, push the show and get people to, like try to tune into the weekly show, which they were also heavily marketing in the sense of, oh, this is uh, you can get uh, one show for roughly a fourth of the cost of uh, what WWE were charging at that point. Yeah, that was the sales pitch that you could get what eight hours of content for the price of WWE's three. Yes, I mean it was a very different time. <laughs> Not very many people bought into that idea, but you can't blame them for trying. And um, they had uh, Kazarian come out after AJ Penn, Michael Shane, with the Styles Clash, and um, they had their stare down. And that match was that match they would go on to have. I remember them doing a suplex from the turnbuckle to the floor. That's that's not a good idea. No, and I, I also I never really I, liked most of the Styles Kazarian matches actually. Because they, they had another match at, against All Odds 2012, and that that was boring. <laughs> that was uh, not their best effort, unfortunately. Um, of all things, the ma- a match that stands out to me the most with them is the one where they had the ladder match with the reindeer. Yes. Again, dumb stipulations make TNA better. <laughs> I mean, but uh, it's weird because, um, I mean, Kazarian, I thought, had like particularly great chemistry with um, Saban in this period. Because uh, they had like a bunch of good matches uh, leading into Ultimate X, I want to say, um, the year prior, and they just generally worked well together. But um, Styles and Kazarian, despite being, you know, obviously good friends for whatever reason, out of that group, was probably not the best pairing, I suppose. Yeah, so that's the first impact. It was <laughs> it was like remarkably focused. Like the guys that they had that they wanted to get over were Hector Garza, Abyss, AMW, Jeff Jarrett, and AJ Styles. It's like, they yep. did a pretty good job of getting those guys over. Yeah. I mean, um, over half the show, or roughly about half the show, I mean, was uh, in-ring. I mean, as opposed to, um, I mean, they only had one promo on the show. I mean, an in-ring promo. Um, and, um, I mean, they had a title switch, um, and it was a notable show. I mean, good way to try to introduce people to the product. Yeah, the show was watched by approximately 110,000 homes, which would have been the most people that ever watched Impact ever at that stage. But what what are they doing ratings-wise now? Doing about 300,000 viewers. For a first show at 4 p.m. on a Friday, I mean, that seems pretty good to me. I mean, all things considered. In the ideal time slot of 4 p.m. on a Friday. (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's just one of those things where, considering everything that they had going up against them at that point, you know, being now at this point, something crazy to consider the fact that this, uh, the company wasn't even two years old at this point. I mean, it's like they were able to uh, get 
that much attention. I mean, even at that point, I, I mean, I would say it was success. That is the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. As I said, check out the Wrestling With Words audio network too here. A cool little podcast me and Trask are doing. Also, you know, next week, hopefully there'll be an episode. Or actually, maybe later this week, depending on when I actually decide to schedule it. I have plans, of course. And thank you to JP for coming on the show. Thank you to Ken. He's over in the Philippines, having a time. And thank you for listening. You can listen to new episodes of Podcast of the Week every single week at soundcloud.com forward slash TWSKK. You can subscribe on iTunes by searching for the TWS Network or subscribe on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Gary Kidney, G-A-R-R-E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y. Thanks for listening. And bye-bye. <laughs>